Hello and welcome to your review for the 7th of March 2023. I'm your host as always, Greg McKay, and I'm joined by the most eligible bachelor in Ayrshire, Christian Wolf. How are you, Christian? I didn't expect that one. Um, I'm, I'm not divorced, by the way. I, I am married. So To be honest, I didn't know where I was going with the sentence. No, I, 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 I really wasn't sure where you were going either. Um, I was going to lead into something like about you hosting the, your second pod of, of, of the day. Obviously, you guest host on the agenda today, and now you're back here at night. How, how did you like it? Did you have any notes for me? I've only listened to about the first 20 minutes. I got a very busy Monday. So, uh, but I'm sure it went well. How have you been? How was your weekend? Yeah, my weekend's been a busy week. Um, A lot of stuff going on, but I think it's hopefully a bit more quiet this week. Um, Other than that, you've stopped me again uh, with with that. Every week. Uh, But yeah, I did did listen to the agenda. You. you did mention that you're going to come on the review and you said something where, where Christian was absolutely, you know, it's, essentially you said you urinate on everybody's cornflakes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just sucked the joy out of everything. And to you, I just want to say, yeah, that is spot on. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. So, but well, you, 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 you did say like, oh, I, I, I come on and tell everybody uh, why they shouldn't love the things they do, mm-hmm. which which is absolutely correct, uh, and they shouldn't. But also, I do tell them what they should love. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, kind of like a Tinder for football fans, I think, and and their opinions. That's uh, we should really move on. This has been really weird. So I think we would use that one. So. <laughs> How, how's your uh, Norway prep? It's getting closer and closer. I'm enjoying this comment from Claire saying you've clearly never been on Tinder. So, <laughs> I look, I haven't been single in. Hold on, this, this is not a brag or anything. Um, 22 years. So, now, so, when I was last single, the internet hardly existed. You so, know what? You just went up to a girl in a bar and spoke to her with your words. You know what I mean? The good, good old fashioned days. Like that, that is literally what happened, just the other way around. But yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, Norway trip is getting closer a week on Friday. I'm away, so yeah, worried. Nervous. You should be because obviously your first one of your first stops will be Lillehammer. And um, speaking to my mum there over the weekend, who so it's got a cabin up there. Minus minus seventeen. Minus seventeen. Christian. This weekend, so going Norway. They said it would be nice. They said, and your snot will freeze. I said. Uh, because that is that is one of the few places my snot has frozen. Mm-hmm. It's in Lillehammer. It, oh, it's more like minus twenty two then. Did, but, did they have that on like the the sign? Welcome to Lillehammer. Your snot will freeze. Your snot will freeze. Yeah. Um, that and the Olympics. Proud host of frozen snot and the Olympics. Now, <laughs> so. On that bombshell, let's get on with the show. We are going to talk. We're going to we're going to talk St. Mun again for our sins. Yes. We we. Previewed St. Man, and then we're going to review St. Man. We're going to preview Hearts on Wednesday, and oh, we're going to yeah. maybe touch on some world events in football, because things have been going on uh, if we get there. Uh, I like the, the optimism that we're going to get to that book. <laughs> I, I have about five or six world event stories to, do, to go for as well, so I'm going to have to squeeze you in this. Well, let's rattle through this 42 images then. Yeah, 42 images later. Okay, so, I mean, I think 
I guess the narrative of the game, uh, the perceived narrative of the game has been that we looked in trouble until the sending off. Um, I think Alan was maybe a wee bit more optimistic on the, the agenda today, yesterday, uh, when he was mentioning that he thinks we we would have got over the hump anyway. What did overall? What, what were your impressions of of the way that that game kind of shaped out? I mean, I think it was essentially two two games post uh, pre and post red card, wasn't it? Yeah, in, in a purely like experimental way, uh, it, it would have been interesting to see if, what would have happened uh, if it wasn't a red card. I think my initial reaction is I'm, I'm happy it was a red card because um, I think a lot of analysts analysis will look at what changed with the red card specifically. Um, well, you know, I think that that was the part of the review I've, I've listened to. That I think Alan's summation of the game is pretty much mine as well. I think I, I do think Celtic would have broken them eventually because that's what they've done all season, you know. And I, and I think you know the players, the substitutes are different now than they would have been last summer, uh, last game in, in Paisley. But it's and yeah, we're going to break this down. But I think overall, that first thirty-six minutes is it did show again how how good St. Mary are at doing what they do, and the issues it could create for for Celtic. I think part of it was self-inflicted from from Celtic as well. So I think those two combinations, you know. Uh, made it really difficult and I, I yeah I, I think Celtic would have gotten over the hump as well St. Mervyn is it's very much about the defensive I mean they end up having one shot on the whole game uh, mm-hmm. the penalty but it, I, it's there's so many games now against St. Mervyn or so many it's three <laughs> where, where this pretty much exact same thing has happened and I do think it simply have a lot to do with how well Samarin sets up in that way. Do you think there was was that game to say that if we just take the first 45 minutes, was that 45 bad in a similar way to how it was bad the last time we played them at Love Street? Do you think? Or was it a kind of was it any better any better, do you think? I think the thing with the last game was the composition of the midfield. So you had Moy, Turnbull, and McGregor in an eight. I think it was a Jota didn't start at either. If I'm no, it was Maeda Nabada. Right. Nabada. And then also, like, I think you had Ralston there and the centre backs as well. But I think it was a little bit more fluent from Celtic, but it had a lot of, of the same things. I do wonder, looking back on it, that I think this summer performance, uh, it's it's better as well. I, I was impressed with them, and I think coupled, I think with Celtic as well, there was, I think there was some personal issues, some some mistakes as well that kind of that makes it a little bit easier for summer as well. Um, but it, it was a lot of the same as well. But overall, I think, as I said, I, I think you would have. Celtic would have broken on them eventually. I don't. I think they could have played a lot longer in, in back in the last game. They could not have scored at all. I mean, when you think about the the 
the sending off for them it essentially just changed their their way of playing from a, a two from three in midfield five back to one three five. Do you think that one person being missing, the one forward being missing, had a massive impact on them defensively? Because I mean, you, I mean thinking you about it rationally, point of view, they've still got the same five players across a box. They've still got the three midfielders sitting in front of it, so it should still be quite tricky breakdown. I can't believe you jumped directly to image like thirty-four. By <laughs> That's the way. my favorite image. Uh, so, yes, I think what Samirin does after the red card is probably not the right thing to do. Like, it's the logical thing to do, I guess, but I think that would inevitably lead to what what happens uh, with Celtic as well. I think they should go, in that case, more 2-3-4. Because I think by going one three five, you just completely lose um, any sort of initiative, and you give up too much space. But Graham, I'm going to stay you back Ooh. to image one, right? So, so what I've done this time is we've kind of look, you know, again, images are being sent out, so you can have a look at these. Have a look up what kind of the numbers and some of the graphs says about before and after um, the red card. So. We've got a lot of different XGs for this one, four different ones, but they're all similar. Like, there's all from like 2.5 XG to 2.9 XG for Celtic. And then all the providers have essentially just uh, the penalty for St. Marin, which is coincidentally four different XGs 0.75, 0.76, 0.78, and 0.79. Four different providers have different XG for different penalties. But the key thing here is that at the time of the red card, Obviously, let's go with like the, the stats bomb side of it, which is image one. At the point of the red card, obviously, Samarin, they'll have 0.08 XG the whole game. Celtic at the point of the red card had 0.33 XG. And even at halftime, had 0.51 XG. And the goal in the second half is the first shot in the second half as well. As you can kind of see image two in terms of when all the XG comes and so on. And Celtic score on five of their last nine shots. So they're, so they're, they're highly effective in the, in the second half. Happened. But I think image three starts to paint a little bit more of a picture, right? And so image three shows you that it divides you know, the game into six quarters, well, six 15-minute periods. And the ball possession in each team is, is very similar. Throughout the game, like you know, varies. You know, the overall is twenty three percent to summary and seventy seven percent to Celtic. But the average formation line. So, essentially, the, the average length from your own goal, um, and formation line is kind of defined on you know where well your activities on the ball is essentially happening. You know, the average. You know, what's the average point of away from your goal where you? have the ball, you compete for the ball, and so on. And whereas in the first 30 minutes, Celtic is, is higher up the pitch than Samarin, but it's only an, an average 18 and a half meters higher up than the pitch than Samarin is the first 30 minutes. And then the next 30 minutes after that, which you know, most of the red card period is, the 36 and a half meters higher up on average. So it just tells you the, the pass maps is there as well. Um, 
on image three. The first half, you know, Celtic centre-backs much further down the pitch for the passes. Taylor is really wide. Hatate is really wide in the first half. Second half, all Celtic outfield players had an average pass location in St. Mirren's half. Centre-backs are much higher. Taylor and Hatate goes more central. Alistair Johnson is higher up. Cal McGregor is higher up as well. So, and so all of these are kind of, I'm going to actually jump to image five as well. Image five, when you look at it, it's just the pressing frequency. So St. Mirren's pressing frequency and where they were pressing uh, the most. So when St. Mirren, as you can see, when they were winning, they were pressing a lot, a lot on the on the right-hand side, but they were pressing all the way up to the halfway line. They were actually pressing quite a bit into Celtic's half as well, mm-hmm. Graham. When they were losing, they've just fallen right back, completely back. I kind of broke it down a little bit more as well. To be honest, this is, this is a heat map, so visually this is a lot better. We can have a look at the image in image five, but up to the red card, you can see huge pressure down Samarin's right-hand side. You know, they're, they're pressing all over the half. They're pressing well into Celtics half. Between the red card and the first goal, there's, there's hardly any pressing. Um, in the Celtics half, they've fallen really far down. And then the funny thing, again, between the 60th and 80th minute, when Celtics score four, Samarin is pressing all over again. And that has a lot to do with them. They were giving up so much space as they were trying to do something. But all of this kind of paint a story of what happened was that up until the red card, yes, Samarinists, they're defensive and they're structured, but they're not low. You know, they're not sitting in a low block. And what happens after the red card before the first goal is that they just they just fall all the way down, which is probably the wrong move for them as well. Um, but image four was I just kind of wanted to show, you know, in this game, Celtic has 23 entries into the penalty box with so in control of the ball. Now that is the sixth fewest in the league if you take away the games against Rangers. So you thought, okay, well it wasn't that bad it's on the low side, but they were on the course to get the lowest total of entries into the box outside the Rangers games until the red card. And I've kind of tried to visualize even where those entries up until the first goal comes and you can see a lot of them just was, they came into the penalty box, but it was quite wide. Mm. And the spots have, this is, so this is a pitch um, graph and I kind of plotted where those entries came in and where they came in is essentially where it stopped as well. There was a pass in, there was crosses in just really wide in the box. There was a few rebounds from set pieces that Celtic get and there's a couple of instances there, you know, it's the Taylor pass to Hatate and the layoff to Jota's shot, you know, and, and a couple of those. But you can see how few there was as well. You know, there was six instances until the red card where Celtic got into St. Mary's box. And that that's, you know, in control of the ball. So it's, what St. Mary was doing here was working, right? Mm-hmm. Up until... The red cards have said Celtic had an XG of 0.33. An XG of 0.33 over almost a whole half. It was very little. So I think Celtic's got an average XG for this season in the league of top of my head, like something like 2.7, 2.8. Mm. So it worked. 
essentially. So all the numbers says it works. All the graphs, all the so it's like after the red card, Samarin just sat really, really low. And I guess it changed their approach. So, I mean, I think Stephen Robinson was in the paper saying that he regretted uh, going the 5 3 1, um, and that's why he changed it to the, the 4 3 2. But he changed it to the 4 3 2 and then conceded like three more goals. I mean, so it, it didn't really work. No, and I think that heat map is, in terms of the pressing frequency, you can see that as well. Like, it, this, the cards start chasing the game, there's just loads and loads of space. Mm. So, so yeah, so it's interesting. I hadn't actually seen that it said that, but that's nice because it kind of fits in with my analysis. Um, <laughs> it, but I, th- I think we'll get to that, but I think it's good then to start. Okay, so what is the Samarian? Does that, that is so effective because you know Celtic face these low block teams quite often. They face the five three two quite often, and it's not that there's something you know revolutionary about Samarino or something super clever. They just, I think the overall they they're just they sit slightly higher and they're slightly more aggressive. And what they do really well is that there's very little space between the lines. But there's also, there is at least three lines, sometimes four lines instead of, and I think they do that with those two strikers on top. I think that is key in this because they create the first line. They're not very aggressive in pressing, but just by sitting, you know, each side, not too wide, not too close, but just sitting in the middle, they create a line essentially, and they take up space in the middle. But then the midfield tree behind that, Graham, they're, they're really close behind. So the image six, image six, that, that's Norwegian. Mm-hmm. Image six is an example of this. And the midfield tree is close behind. So there's very little space between those lines. And as we've talked about so many times, if the ball goes out to the fullback, in this case, in image six, um, it goes out to Greg Taylor. It's what we call the ball near number eight. Um, and Samarin, so that is still in the number eight, you know, the, the three central midfielders. You can call them the two number eights on each side, and then the deep number six. The closest number eight to the ball goes out to the fullback. Mm. Soon as that happens, as soon as a Celtic number eight or a Tati or Moy steps into the space between the midfield and the defense, center back jumps out straight away. Image seven is just showing the same thing um, on the other side. You know, so they're the closest Celtic number eight to McGregor. McGregor has the ball in the center circle. Aaron Moy slips behind the midfield tree. But interesting, the midfield tree doesn't follow Aaron Moy. So they don't really follow. If Aaron Moy, Rio tactic goes behind the midfield tree in the build-up. None of the midfield tree really goes after him. It's the centre back that comes up, and mm. um, and this is you know done here. He, he he was very good until the red card, very aggressively jumping up. So, so what this does is there's very little space between the lines, so between the attackers, midfielders, midfielders, defence. As I said, the front two doesn't press aggressively, but they help create that line. So there's there's no space in the middle. Like this, it, 
it's very blocked in the center of the pitch, uh, <laughs> central of the pitch. So what you do, you kind of compress space between the lines centrally. So you can't really get in this very little space. And what you also do is you push Celtic wide, uh, which is kind of where you want them. Image 8 is just kind of another approach to this. I think what, another thing that Samarin do really well, they kind of keep their lines, the lines aren't you know, straight. They, they can be quite diagonally as well. So players within each line push up to different heights. But they always keep it very compact. So image A is just, I kind of try to highlight how little space there is between each line. But if you look at the lines, none of them are straight. They're all like kind of diagonal. Um, so I, I think it's just really, it's really clever. I mean, image nine again, image nine, I, I kind of like, uh, like from a tactical point of view, because it's such a clear representation that look, look at the midfield tree in, in image nine. Mm-hmm. So the ball is with Taylor on the left hand side. You have the two strikers and then the midfield tree. But the midfield tree has, they're much higher up the pitch than Rio Hatate and Aaron Moy. They've let Rio Hatate and Aaron Moy just go behind them. Don't even looking at them almost. So it's the two center backs who's jumping up on them on Celtics number eight. So it's Don and Fraser who jumps up on Hatate and Moy. And I think it's, I think this is the thing that Samarin does really well. So by not, you see how high the strikers are, you see like the, almost all the midfield trees in Celtics have. But to make sure then Celtics, you know, okay, you're pushing the their back line up, but they're so aggressive in the centre-backs jumping up on any Celtic players that is behind Samarin's midfield tree. You're almost creating four lines. Mm. You have two strikers, three midfielders, then two centre-backs jumping up, and then you got three defenders. So, I mean, Image 10 is just another example of it. Um, you know, Gokic jumping up on Moy, centre-backs are compressing spaces. So again and again and again, if you... I think it's it's quite simple. Like, you have your strikers quite high, high up. So, occupying space in, centrally. That allows you to push the midfield tree high. But the midfield tree is almost there to look after the Celtic fullbacks and Cal McGregor and see if Hatate Moyden goes behind them, the centre backs pushes up. So wherever you try to go, compressing space, compressing space, compressing space. And it's you know, it's it's just really clever. So I mean when one thing that then that should leave would be the kind of the area that the centre back is leaving to jump up. Would uh, would it be possible then, as a kind of res- result of this tactic, to try and go a bit more direct? So have this have the, the midfielders almost be a dummy, take the attention of a centre back, and then try and play the ball into that space vacated for somebody like Gio to run onto. Would that be a tactic to try and deal with this? Or is that just too hard to make that pass? It's a difficult pass to make because they don't give you much time on the ball anyway. And where they give you time on the ball, it's usually out wide. And, I mean, (laughs) and as I say, it's it's a difficult pass to make as well, but I think what Samarin is good at 
we'll see some of these images as well. The center backs will push up, right? But as soon as Hatate Moy don't get the ball and it goes out wide, or, or you know, the player shapes to you know go long, they fall back in. And you always have one spare center back mm. behind there on Kyogo as well. So you always have one on Kyogo. You have the two wing backs who can fall in as well. You know, they're staying on the wingers. So as long as you manage that kind of rotation of jumping up and down, you know, you know that's, that's effective. But, you know, there is a couple of times, I mean, I think, for example, like the Allison Johnson pass between, um, in the first half, between the wing back and one of the center backs to, to Jota, it's, you know, that's, that's kind of passes you can, if this was a bit of space, you, you can make it, you can come around. But something kind of got there. They got their own out wide, but they were never really able to attack those middle spaces. So I think what so Celtic try to respond to this, you know. So the next few images is you can kind of see, you know, okay. So number eight, first of all, it's like Rio Tate starts going wide, and if you look at how Tate's pass match from the first half, you know, it's, it's a lot wide because he's not really getting any joy. It's not getting any loss of balls between the midfield and defence because it's always kind of marked. So he goes wide. So image 11 is, is Greg Taylor picking up the ball a bit more deep and central. Hatati goes wide to find space. But this is kind of what we talked about, Helen, Graham, that the centre-back Fraser, he doesn't follow Hatati. Like, Hatati is in a lot of space out wide. But because he's not directly behind the midfield tree, he's out wide. Fraser stays in the back five shape. And you can see that image 11. So he says, well, you try and go along them. I'm not going to jump out on you, Rihatate, even though you've got some space out wide, because, you know, now I'm going to stay in my back line. So in image 12, and then Celtic then end up progressing down the line, it's the return of the box. Yes. And then the rectangle, the two behind the, the box to make a rectangle. And this is, is image 12 is the same situation. You know, the Frasier stays in shape to create that box with the right wing back and then two of the midfield tree. And then the central center back, which is Kojic, and the last of the midfield tree creates that safety line. So they were quite, the center backs were quite clever in not jumping out in the wrong times, not being pulled out. And then Celtic kind of had to go wide in box timing. So in, in this instance, Maeda does actually quite well. He he beats his wing back strain. But because the right center back Fraser hasn't jumped out on Tate, he's stayed in his line. He's in the position to cover that. You know, Maeda getting past and he deflects the cross and he stopped Maeda from running into the box. Image 13 is essentially um, the same thing. You can see that Fraser is ready to jump on Hatate if the ball goes to Hatate. But as soon as it goes wide to Maeda, he sprints back into the, the back line to come before his wing back. So that's kind of what you said, Graham. Like, so he's ready to jump out, but he'll only jump out if he knows how Tate is getting the ball or he looks like he's getting the ball. As soon as the ball goes wide, he runs back in, you know, to make sure he covers that space. And not only does he cover that space, but he gives strain, like the, the doubling up of Mayera, creating the box. Um Image 14 is, is just a few seconds after when Celtic tried to move the ball around. They tried to move uh, that block around, but Fraser is back to form that box. And then again, Maeda actually kind of gets past Strain again. But because Fraser hasn't jumped up because he's in his back line, 
he's there to cover my head. It's the double up on my head again, so he can't get anywhere. And image 16 is just my head. Okay, Hatati goes wide and Taylor drops into that central space. Fraser jumps up, right? So he he's Fraser as the wide center back and Dunham on the side. They're not jumping up on one specific player. They're just jumping up if a Celtic player is in that space. So it doesn't matter if it's Riyatate, it doesn't matter if it's uh, Greg Taylor. They're protecting the space. And if you remember somewhere like Ross County, Ross County just followed their player, mm-hmm. right? It's simplified. And this is a bit more difficult, but it's a lot more effective. And it gives there's less risk if you get it right because you're not pulled, you know, pulled everywhere across the space. So box 17, you can see uh, Celtic have to go wide. The box is there and the rectangle is there. And once you're in the box, you hardly ever get out of the box. Graham. So, I mean, our, our mortality we're talking about now. Uh, so, John McKenzie done, done a video on Arteta and his use of boxes. Uh, is that the same kind of thing? Is it the same tactic? It's still on my watch list, Graham. Uh, don't tell John. Uh, but, um, yeah, no, so I, I think he's talking about a bit more about box midfields, which is a lot of teams are now using instead of essentially creating a double pip, two double pip, like, like a two deeper midfielders, <laughs> essentially, um, which Arsenal is doing really good, well as well. But I, I think this this is the Robinson box, right? So, um, no, it's just, I, I think it's, it's a natural kind of comes from setting up in a 4-3-2 because you'll have, essentially, you almost have two fullbacks when when the ball goes wide and you have that midfield tree and two of them, their job is to, is to cover with as well. So, so that box of two central midfielders, the wingback and one of the centre-backs, if you go wide, then especially if you if you got two players on the same vertical line, Celtic, for example, if the winger and the fullback or one of number eight, they ended up on the same vertical line, I just come and box you in, right? And then they have another centre-back and another midfielder behind that too to have a safety line. So that's what we talked a lot about before. Like Celtic needs to get into central positions a lot more quicker because if they don't, what's up in the, well, not only against the but what happens if you kind of ball goes out wide, you've got a couple of players out wide. If the opposition is in this 5-3-2, it's so easy for them to just outnumber you once you get deep and wide and there's not much space you can't go anywhere because you're on the side you're on the sideline there's not much space behind like the defense at all you can't really get through the box unless there's some really really good trickery so you end up going back and going in a horseshoe all around and that's what some managed to do so yeah. jack was talking about um how this basically against something the way you need to you need to have players that are um good in tight spaces Hmm. And this is the second visit to to Not Love Street where uh, Maeda has been subbed off at halftime. Uh, is there not a bit of blame to Ange for basically trying the same thing twice? And I mean, we won the game, we win five one. It's brilliant, obviously, but it could have gone a very different way. And it felt as if he maybe didn't learn any lessons from the last time he played there. Was that too harsh, do you think? No, I think, I think you're spot on. I, I think, as I said at the start, it's not the first time this has happened. And a lot of this happened in the 5-1 <laughs> cup game as well for, for, for large parts. And they are really effective with this. And, you know, I, I, I love Dyson Maeda, but 
terms of the, you know, and I, I think I think it plays in the Bornell as well, which is a really good game. But you, you can see this coming a mile away, really. And I, I was I was surprised. I mean, I started. I don't think Abada would have been a better starter. We'll, we'll get back to him. <laughs> but you know, it's maybe it's too obvious a thing with with Haxabanovich, but. I think when you end up in this kind of pattern of play, so there's another kind of, I guess, parallel storyline here where when Celtic is managed to break through San Marin a bit more centrally, and they get into position where they can release Desmiere a bit quicker into those half spaces behind the line, right? So which we saw in the four 0 game against San Marin at home, but once that ball goes out wide. And you, you've kind of be able to box it in. It's not by you that strength, mm. like to beat someone from a standing position one way one and try to be, you know do some trickery. That's that's just not his strengths. So you come to that uh, once the ball is out, you have as ineffective. He's been taken off. I think all the major issues is then before you get to that stage, why is Celtic ending up in a position where they just go wide and high and they, you know, they're not able to. You know, they actually like to put Dave made in those positions where his, his strength is nice. And again, you know, this like image 18, I've kind of tried to put together that what Celtics number eight, like both Moy and Hatati try to do, you know, they were trying to go wide, then they tried to receive between the attacking line and the midfield. So image 18 is like a set of three pictures which shows this. Where Hatate um Hatate passes to, you know, sorry, Hatate receives the ball from CCB, but he's dropped between the Samarian attacking line and the midfield line. And what happens when you receive the ball between that, because the space is so little, you know, Hatate gets pressed straight away. He sends the ball to McGregor. It's probably not the easiest ball, but McGregor miscontrols it. And because there's so little space, you know, between those lines, the space between the attacking line, midfield line, the centre backs coming up, Samir can only give you very little time on the ball. They got a good chance of snatching the ball off you, which happens here, where O'Hara takes the ball off McGregor, releases Maine, who sends the balls to Grieve, who CCB has to run him up. And it's a decent, you know, transition opportunity for from Samir. So, Kind of whatever that like the Celtic number eights tried didn't really work. But so we ended up in situations like with Mayed out and stuff. But I think we come in this part as well, where I'm like, I think we've given Samaria a lot of credit there. And I think they deserve that in terms of the way they set up, the way the decision making of the individual players within that, when to drop, when to not drop, to stay up high, which I think was important, did that well. But a lot of Celtic players were a bit off as well, mm-hmm. I think. Um, people will say like, oh, here comes the moiting. Don't worry, that's coming later. Before <laughs> that, there's a list of other players, I think, making some of the wrong decisions on the ball. And I think you have to start, almost you have to start with the captain, mm-hmm. which is not often we say. I think image 19 is just a couple of examples. We just talked about how Mike lost the ball in the midfield. Image 19 is two examples of him, I think, choosing the wrong balls. He's either too ambitious, there's 
one pass he has in St. Mary's half where Greg Taylor is completely free between the lines. You've got, I think, Hatate and Kyogo in the middle. You've got Maeda wide. So if you slip for Greg Taylor in, there's a four against four in the loss of space. And he tries to go long to Maeda out wide, goes out for a, a throw in. And then a bit later, he's got the ball in his own half, just in front of the center circle. Against Greg Taylor has snuck behind the, the strikers. He's in that space between the attacking line and the midfield line. And somebody will press him, but that's an easy ball for Cal McGregor. It's the kind of pass you, know, you need to make. Give it to Greg Taylor. He can give it off. He can, you know, Cal McGregor just goes back to Carl Stark. But he's like, that's, you know, it's not the kind of decision you, you'd usually see from him. It's an other, it's like, Image 20 is two almost identical situations where first is Jota, then it's Alistair Johnston, who have the ball in some space, in the half space on the right-hand side. They both have like three, four players in the middle against about three, four Samarian players. But instead of kind of having a little patience and trying to work the ball into, especially Riyatati both times, short passes between the lines, can get Hatati on the ball in a good position. Both Jota and Johnston goes for like that's that kind of cross that's never going to come off. Like from quite far out, high up, it's not. And it's like it's a hail mary, hail mary, really. And it's the kind of ball like you just like go. Oh, I'm just going to chuck it in there. Maybe it's the one in a fifty one. You know that second image in particular. I mean Jota. The, the amount of, he's about to run in and go basically. If Johnson could just slip him in, I mean that's that's well, you look at your pass to make. You look at Hatati as well. Like so, the first passing lane to Hatati is probably blocked, but Johnson can just put the ball under and left and, and find the LB in space. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's just having a little bit of calmness. But don't marry Hatati. I mean. I think he does a lot of good on the ball, but it's not his best game either. Like, Image 21 is a lovely pass from a player who did have a good game. No surprises. I'm of this opinion. Greg Taylor. Um, <laughs> a lovely pass between two lines. Riyatati, if he re- receives it, is in the middle of the submarine's half, in a good bit of space. Just can't control the ball. It's a couple of poor shot selections. One from uh, Image 22, one from Hatati. But again, he shoots from 25, 30 yards. The Celtic players, you can play in there. You know, Maeda, Moy, Jota. And then, <laughs> this is after Red Card, but CCB takes a shot from 20, 25 yards as well. So I'm like, like mate, like, you know I hate these things. I know he scored one, but it's just, it's those kind of things that, ah, just just have a bit of calmness. Do you think just there was a, maybe a message to the players before? I mean, because obviously we, we had this, not scored at that stadium in X number of hours uh, chat before the game and at halftime as well. Do you think there was maybe some kind of like message given to the players that they should try and like quickly get a goal or maybe try things out just to, just because the, the longer the game goes, uh, the more specific man will just sit back? It's in a slightly stress, but they were making a few decisions like that where you go, and this is on 1-0, it's just like a bit out and a half. It's just, I, I don't think there was just a specific message saying, <laughs> score quickly. But mm-hmm. I, I think they were maybe getting a little bit stressed in terms of, we're down 1-0 again. Yeah. And I'm just going to try these balls. 
I mean, all it takes is just image 23 is. I've talked about Days of Mayeda, like it's not great from a start of a system one to one. Greg Tiller makes a fantastic run from the middle of the, the center of the pitch, somewhere in his half, right, you know, behind the right center back. And he isn't picked up, right? The ball goes out to Days Mayeda, but I think it's just not Days Mayeda's game, right? That ball has been Jota has got a right in that position. Maybe he can find that ball, but you, you get these runs. That would have been a, a fantastic run. I think Mayeda just passes it back. You know, he's, he just doesn't even, I don't know if he doesn't see the run, but he doesn't think he can make it. But I don't know. So there's a lot of those kind of individual mistakes or decision making, putting players in positions. They're not their strength like Jason Maeda. But I think it comes back to overall game. Like you talked about, this is Andrew's responsibility to play Maeda. Yeah, I think, again, his decision to start Aaron Moy against Samarin again. Like the, he's, he's starting. We'll get to that. Well, we won't actually get to that because after the 2 1, this But he started two other games versus Samarin, and they were two of the worst performances by Celtic this season. He starts again. It's even bigger shift in the derby after the derby. I don't know what. Maybe Ange is planning something for Wednesday that O'Reilly will play on Wednesday against Hearts. I think he just struggled hugely again. And this isn't a oh, have you just had somebody else now or more here? It would have been fine because there's a lot of other players that didn't quite play that well. There's a lot of Samarin's system is difficult, but again, he's. It's highly ineffective. Mayeda has been in now. Moy has been in as well. Like image twenty four is is it's kind of his pass map until the first goal. And again, you know, it's and you know, there's also shown where he lost the ball. So the yellow ones are uh, ball losses, is that right? Yellow ones is missed passes or ball losses, yeah. So he's either missed a pass or he's actually just lost the ball, uh taken off him. Pretty much everything is either going out on the right-hand side, far right, or he's going backwards, right? And when he tries to go centrally, obviously he's got a few crosses. And one, one of them always comes off, it, it, even though it's an incomplete pass. One of them, is, it is in a good position, but you didn't create much in that period. For me, it's just a lot of these times he's just not... A, attacking the right area. So when he has to attack someone, when he has to create space, you know, he is good centrally and he's good with runners around him. But image 25, I was, I think I had to put this in the chat as well. I was raging at him. Like, because this Jota who makes, has the ball out wide. He's coming inwards. Aaron Moy is in the middle of the pitch. But for some reason, Aaron Moy, I mean, he's not Cafu, right? But he's, He's intent on doing this huge overlap coming from centrally, going around Jota to attack some space on the right. And I was like, there's a space in the middle to be attacked. You're, I don't know why he's trying to go out all the way wide like he's some sort of fullback when it's, it's not even on. Like it's What are you going to do? He needs to attack the central spaces. So you need to try to seek the ball. Even if Jota is maybe going towards that, he needs to be in there as well. So I've kind of marked the areas of the pitch I think he should go into. And if you look at when Jota kind of loses the ball, Aaron Moyes three yards right behind him. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it's and there's a big, big space in the middle of the pitch. There's no Celtic players, so he he needs to be able to attack those. And what that does, I mean, I, one day I'm going to talk about rest defense. But image twenty six, if he's in a central position when that attack breaks down, he's much more covered. Now, St. Mirren has a really good transition opportunity with the way Celtic set up defensively when they attack. Because St. Mirren isn't that good team at all offensively, they just go back. But it's stuff like that. Image 27, he receives the ball in really good position outside the penalty box. So he decides to go back on the first touch instead of giving the ball back to Greg Taylor. Ball gets intercepted. Image 28, this is when he tried to receive the ball between the lines. It's actually a good pass from... I think it's Taylor again. And it just gets pressed and loses the ball and it falls over like he's been shot. And it's just, it just wasn't a state. And you can kind of tell he was coming, but offensively, it doesn't even really work for him. I think defensively, it, there was a couple of situations, image 29, when he has to, you know, the Celtic attack breaks down far up on the left-hand side. And when Moidan has to switch to defensive mode, you know, he's got Samarin number eight, his equivalent O'Hara, close to him. It's about five yards away. But it takes him about five seconds before he goes, oh, shit, I better run back here. And by that time, it's too late. O'Hara gets the ball. He sends out wide to Thierry's, Thierry Small, which, which we talked about. He about glimpses what's, what's pretty dangerous. He sends a, a dangerous cross in, and a Starfield has to clear. Image 30 is just the same thing. Uh, where Aaron Moy is ahead of the Samir player when the Celtic, uh, I think it's a set piece, breaks down. The Samir player essentially runs away from him, even though he has the ball. And image 41 is just a comparison with Vialatati. Perhaps the same thing where a Celtic attack breaks down in second half. Within five seconds, Vialatati has overtaken him, running up and muscle him off. And that. That is just a physical difference between the two players, which is, you can't even blame Aaron Moy for this, but I think he was struggling offensively and he was struggling defensively when Samirin tried to transition back as well. So I think overall for me, after the red card, you, you, you put him in those kind of situations where he's effective. And we'll come back to why Celtic had a lot more space then, but it happened again, Graham. Like you, you, you started, started Armoy and David Turnbull in, in first game in Paisley. You started Armoy and Turnbull in the 5 1 game. You start Armoy here again. And I said, it's not just him here, but this, you can tell this is what uh, not a game for him a mile off, I think. And it, it might, might not turn out like that. I just think it's a strange decision by Ange to start him in this game, to start Maeda in this game again. And, uh, I feel like I repeat myself again and again, but there is nothing. You can still have the opinion that Aaron Moy is very effective in certain situations, and he's he's been really good for Celtic in certain games. So, I'll, you know, I think the extent of which I agree to that is, yeah, we can have a debate on. But it's fine to have that opinion, and at the same time, say, see, certain games doesn't suit him. So even though you, he, even if he is in good form, even if he has had good games, if there is an opponent and an occasion that doesn't suit him, don't play him. 
and I think this again, this is this is that kind of game where there was going to be very little space between the lines. Some members were going to be very aggressive when you receive the ball. They're going to push you out wide and going to give like they were not going to give you Aaron Moy the space even you got against the Rangers, right? Don't play him. I think that's a match. Why, why do you why do you think he, he is playing him? Like what is it? Is it a blind spot from Ange? Do you think? Oh, well, he'll have a reasoning, and that's probably logical, and it's, maybe it's the right one. It's just—I mean, this is just my opinion, but <laughs> it's, it's happened a few times with this American games now. And if he doesn't have, if Armo doesn't have that space and, and the time to kind of have the runners around him and stuff like that, it's, it's just ineffective. And I said, maybe this is something about. Hearts on Wednesday as well. Maybe you know he he wanted O'Reilly to to play there, and he doesn't want Moy to play too. And I, I don't know, but you know, I've I just probably falls down on the other side with a lot of the fans about why Moy can bring. I just think he's he, for me he's he's a little bit like Gigi, right? But Gigi in in the the right games, the right situation, he's hugely effective. But the team has to do a lot of the work for. Him. Mm. And that for a lot of time that might be worth it, and he was very effective at times. But he is not uh, the same way. Gigi isn't as complete a striker as Kyogo or O. Moy isn't as complete a number eight as Cal McGregor is, like Riotate is, like Matt O'Reilly is. He's got very strong qualities that are very effective in certain situations. But there will be plenty of games where those strings that is difficult to kind of tease them out and then what he can't bring has a more of a detrimental effect on Celtics but and I, again I think Sam always have, have had worse games for Celtic but it, it, and I think there's other players as we walk through going through this game like we haven't even mentioned Jota Jota was you know, sloppy on the ball a lot there was mm-hmm. a lot of other players who didn't have a good game at all so it wasn't like Moy was a standout but it was the same story. And it's, it's no point me speculating why Ange, well, Ange is probably playing because he thinks it's the best for the team. I don't think it's any more um, difficult than that. But yeah, it happened again. I, it's, it's bizarre uh, when you when you think about the fact that we had the kind of um, wake up call, the alarm the last time we played there and there didn't seem to be much uh, less, many lessons learned from it when it, when we saw the lineup, um, and people are probably thinking we're being maybe over, overly negative but this part of the game is probably the most interesting from our kind of analytical point of view because yeah. it's yeah. against the 11 men and I know you were kind of maybe you weren't joking on the agenda when you said that but, but <laughs> That's this kind of podcast. You know, I, I think the interesting thing here is, and I think we've all said this in the context that I think Celtic would have got a goal and a win anyway at some point. But the whole, a lot of the reason why I, I want to focus on this as well is that if Celtic wants to take another step, they can't, you know, some, there was even parts in this game where a better team in Samarin would have exploited, right? So it's not about what is good enough 
to beat Samir in 5-1. Like, I think we would have won this game probably anyway. You go out and win 5-1, everybody's happy, but it's not really about that. We know Celtic is good enough to beat Samir in 5-1, even with a dodgy start. Are they putting in place something that can take another step up in Europe? With Aaron Moyes and number eight in Europe, it's not going to happen. I, I'd, I'd be happily proven wrong if Aaron Moy like dominates the Champions League group stages. I, I, I'll, then I'll, I'll admit I was wrong, Graham. I mm. just can't see it. And I, it's, and it's that. And again, I think this is a phase you can't play. You know, you need to change your team up throughout the season. You know, Aaron Moy's been a big part of that. He, this part of the season, you know, there's a lot of games left. Maybe that'll change as it often does on the range, but. Just because it's good enough to be somewhere in the home, shouldn't mean you should be happy with it, hmm. right? Because it's it's not really about somewhere. And this what we're trying to do is not about somewhere. Is has it to take the next step? So, but I mean, bring some positivity. Um, <laughs> and we talked about the start as well. In terms of there was a couple of good attacks. There is, you know, image thirty two and image thirty three is I think Celtic's two best kind of attacks in the first half, two of the biggest chances. The first one is when Hatati comes all the way over, Jota makes that run into the half space that the area kind of marked there. Hatati's flick is, is is brilliant. You know, that's the chocolate Carson saves. Image 33, again, a great ball from Taylor into Hatati. You know, that, that's a really nice ball finding Hatati in space. Hatati brings it in. Backs a little to Jota, who takes another shot as well. So the, there was, you know, we talked about Alistair Johnson. He, you know, he sent quite a few balls out wide to Jota's space, you know, they were trying to do that as well. So, the, you know, Hatate had a couple of uh, shots as, as well, a bit closer. So there the, the was things in there, and I think that's what we said. I think they probably would have got a call in the end. But overall, uh, you know, it didn't happen again, Grim. Um, but the thing I, that changed, I think yeah, those, those aspects were a bit more brighter, a bit brighter than... Uh, the last time I played them, like we didn't yeah. even get those moments the last time I played them that I can remember anyway. Exactly. So, I mean, I mean, I think that's a wee bit of positivity uh, in that first uh, 40 minutes or so. But I think, then, as you said, then there is, then the red card comes. Like most, pretty much everything we talked about here, with the exception of a couple of images, happened for the red card. And as I said, speculate what will happen if the red card doesn't come. And Celtic might well have won. I think it's probably likely that Celtic win anyway. But what literally does happen, what concretely happened, is that image 34 is after, you know, Samarin's Taylor back. Taylor has come on in the 45th minute. The very first build-up, you can see they've gone to 5-3-1. And if you remember at the start of the podcast a couple of hours ago, um, you talked about how somewhere in just the formation line fell, the pressuring was far lower. And image 34 shows that image 35, I think it's just a perfect example of what actually happens. And there's no pressure on the center back at all. Curtis May is a bit high up here, but he doesn't have a partner. Midfield tree has fallen along down. So that means CCB can just take the ball all the way up. He's got all the space in the world in the midfield. He can Aaron Moyes, as he's done most of the game, position himself behind the midfield tree. CCB can can slip a ball between the midfield tree. He's got lots of space to aim and so on. Before the red card, you would have Charles Dunn 
writing Aaron Smoy back. He would already be in his back, giving him a show even before he gets the ball. I think maybe because Taylor is the centre back is just on. Totally, Aaron Moy's got the space and the time to, to receive the ball and turn. And you can see Taylor is kind of caught in two minds. This is like a minute after he's the pitch, so he's like, oop. Um, and suddenly, because a new player has come in, midfield tree is lower. You got more, you got more time and space between the lines. And I think this happened second half, image thirty six. You can see Samir midfield line is so much lower. And they're now just giving up so much space. They would have really contested with 11 men. Image 37 is another representation of that with Greg Taylor got the ball. I actually call Starfield. But Samaritan's midfield tree is now 25 yards from goal. And you have all this, all this kind of image 37 in yellow kind of marked a big area. It goes out wide. It goes quite centrally. If that's been the first half, Celtic would have struggled to have had any time on the ball and space in that area. Now Carl Starfall can just walk up the 30, 35 yards without any contesting whatsoever. You got other things happening. Image 38 is the wing backs started to get up a lot less passive. So image 48 is the ball going out to the yellow batter on the right hand side. But I've marked Thierry Small there. In the first half, he would have been up on Badas straight away. He would have been right out on the sideline. This is after 54 minutes. He's 15, 20 yards inwards. And this, the passage of play here is like the ball's been up the Celtics half, but St. Marines have had plenty of time to set up. So I don't know if he's just been told to be more, more narrow, if he's getting tired, if he's getting a bit more cautious. He's so far away from Abada. Abada takes the ball up, gets a corner. And after this corner, Celtic just stay around the box. There's that switch of the ball by Hatate. And again, image 39, when the Abada makes a run on the edge of the penalty box, I think Small's too far away from him from what he would have been in the first half. He would have been pushed higher. He wouldn't have turned. Image 40, Graham. There's box in the holes. There's holes in the box. <laughs> um, obviously, the box is a bit closer to goal now, but... Moy kind of gets that space in, in the middle of the pitch and it fires it in. And then image 31 is just before the second goal. It's kind of what we talked about already. The midfield tree is so low. There's no pressure centrally. Again, this is a, this huge space which we should have been fiercely contested had it been 11 men. Samaritan's just fallen way too back. Taylor sends the ball out to Jota. He's one on one and lost of space. He draws the free kick. 2 1, Bob's your uncle. Um, and that's it, you know. So that's what happened. I think after the red card, Samarin stops. I think they lose, I suppose I said that. I think they just bit over cautious. I think mm-hmm. if it had been me, I would have kept the two strikers, kept the three in midfield, kept the same press height and just played four at the back. And it's a lot more risky. But if you sit this low against Celtic, eventually something's going to happen around the box. Like you, you just, you just, if you invite them in around your box, okay, you can have like backs against the wall performance that maybe will work one in 20, but Celtic's going to score eventually. And they do. I mean, the goals are kind of, it's a little bit of luck and a set piece and stuff like that. But these things, I think they were always coming. Anyway. Maybe Stephen Robertson should read a blog on how to play with 10 men. Hey, if only there was a manager. In the Premiership, who's uh, written such a book? 
Man. Yeah. New Marvel series. Uh, so. <laughs> so. what, what, what is the last image of Image 42? Image of 42 is Leo Abada. Um, <laughs> so we talked about, I think every group chat, well, the ones we were in, were like, why the hell is Andrew putting Abada on instead of Haxabanovich? And I'm always, the first ten, 10 minutes of Abada's substitution there is one of the worst substitutions I've ever seen. He could not do anything right. Like, I mean, he's put just his pass map there. Like, there's, he's got five missed passes and he's got eight completed ones, but mostly completed ones that go backwards, so they're really short. Um, his first 10 minutes were atrocious. Um, and then, <laughs> then it happens. Then, it, as I said, you know, some women get lower, you get more space. And we, we know he can be deadly in our penalty box with a little bit of space. Uh, in those kind of situations. So it was just, again, you go, this sounds crazy, but is that right substitution? Like, mm-hmm. does does the outcome of a 5 1 say, actually, that was a good thing to put Alabama on? I was like, <sighs> I mean, the first 10 minutes were, were just as I feared. Um, I don't know about Haxabanovich, you know, was, I, I probably would have put him on. I think Ange trusts Abada more, maybe something about Haxabanovich, he's not. Sure about yeah, but again, I, I think it's just a thing of saying just because the outcome again was was the best, it uh, was a good one. I don't know if I would have made that sub here, but you know. Do you think do you, do you see any improvement on the brother? Because I mean, I think his goal that the kind of bust to get past the man it seemed to be something that he wouldn't really have had in his locker uh, when when he just. I don't know. I think I think he's always kind of had. He has that burst of acceleration in, in within the penalty box, mm. and no, I, I think he's slightly aggressive this year. I, 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 you think? I don't think he's. You know, he's maybe because he's played less, but I think he's. He had. I don't. I think it was just more dangerous, more effective. Uh, maybe around the box last season, but I, I really don't think he's taken up a big step in any way. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he, he he does a bad of things. You know, he, he comes in and he can be very effective in certain situations. But and I guess he had the space out wide a bit more, and like he, he wasn't like pressed up and hemmed in out wide. And he, he, he could, so in that sense, maybe it was a good substitution, but. Talk about you know his, his people interested him in and he's going to leave and stuff. For me, this is just a classic case. So, see, his value is probably still quite good in terms of the numbers he's putting up. He is a promising player. He's, he's so young. I don't think he's a fantastic fit for the system. I don't think if he had been, he would have been pushing me at a lot closer. So, I think if you get a good offer him in the summer, you. You take that. You take that all day roll. It's the same as you took it for Gigi and so on. I think with the money you could get for him, I think you can invest in someone who's, who's just would would be better and, and would be more effective on the ranch. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy he scored and came in um, for, for the win and also the resale value. 
What, what have you made of Iwata and his, his couple of cameos, uh, obviously in the cup final? And then, uh, I mean, it's probably hard to judge him against St. Man because it, the game was dying by the time he came on. Yeah, I, I think everything that happens after two one is kind of go. You know, there's so much space, just to, to kind of just nothing resembling what they did before. So then Celtic can just turn it on and, and they can just roll them over. So that's fine. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic about Ivata. I think. I think it was. It did some really good things in the cup final. I think it was. It, uh, it was one of the other games where I thought it was. He came on before that, wasn't it? Where I thought it. He went a bit much backwards, but I think the last couple of games, I think he's. You can see, he. He can be a very kind of solid. I mean, system. He'll know the system. He can work within the system, and he can be reflected within the system. And I think. It's interesting that he's been kind of be used together with McGregor a lot, um, like in the cup final. So, so yeah, no, I, I think he is definitely an, an option. Do you think that being to allow with, McGregor? Do you think that uh, using him with McGregor is maybe a hint towards what we might see in the Champions League next season? I don't think it's out of the question. No, and in terms of, and it doesn't have to be like a double pivot. And uh, I think you'll McGregor up a bit, but with McGregor, he, he'll always be a bit more. It's fluent and uh, fluid in that in that system as well. So I think it gives you that option of having. Like I think if you play about that McGregor in the Independence League, McGregor will still drop quite a bit uh, and work with that. But I think we would then have three players who are all well comfortably on the ball, very you know has a intensity in in, in the pressing as well. But um, so I think it gives you that option. And I think to give Vivata six months now and get him up to speed, it'd be interesting to see them the midfield composition at the start of next season. So we're going to move on to talking about hearts now. And one thing we kind of came to the realisation about when before we started recording was that we've not played hearts in a very long time. I think you said it was October, was the last time we played hearts? 26th of October, I believe. 26th. Uh, it was the VAR game, the infamous VAR 22nd. game. 22nd. 22nd yes. before somebody checks that. It was yeah. the first war game, uh, I remember. Yeah. <sighs> we were so innocent then. Yes. Um, so, what do you... Obviously, when Hearts played Rangers, they decided to go gung-ho for some reason and uh, get absolutely destroyed. Are you expecting that similar that they're going to try and pose their will on us? Uh, or do you think they're going to be 5-3-2 or something again and just be sitting back? But they went my heart. I mean, they went for the back four the last time the game. So that's one of the. I think after that it was maybe just Hips and Motherwell, um, maybe Ross County, Ross County once as well that played the back four. But that's the only time since since October. So I was kind of like, oh, I was hoping can we finally get a back four again? But uh, they, they seem quite set on the three, kind of three four two one of three four three what they want to call it. And I think the last game was. Again, I think it was one of those where Hearts do try and play out from the back a little bit. And in that game, looking back on my notes as well, uh, this is like in the middle of the Champions League run. I think the Celtics pressing were just bit all over the place. So I think I thought it was almost, it's that, it's that kind of pressing that will be okay domestically because you're playing Hearts. And but had it been in Europe, as we saw, teams would pick you apart, right? So that there was a lot of issues uh, for 
around that. I mean, it didn't happen. I think in that game, um, this is one of the games O'Reilly plays, plays in the number six position. Um, and it's Aaron Moy and Rio Tati in the midfield. It's forced and um, Dice Mayeda and then Jikamakis on top. So you know, I think even Burnaby uh, starts that game, but I think it was pretty good in that game, actually. But So there's obviously a, a midfield there uh, and a pressing style that was great, but yeah, there was a lot of issues in that game. But what's this time, Graham? I'm, I'm really unsure. As you said, that there were a bit more long haul against Rangers. But again, you, you do wonder, like, there's only really been Hibs, really, who's kind of tried to play a lot of their own game against Celtic or tried to be a bit offensive. And Hibs have been picked up every time. So, I, in a way, I, I understand why Hibs go 5 3 2 against Celtic. Um, I think you can do. Well, as like Samarin, you can get something, but if, I can't even mention that for Samarin. Like, even though they had penalty in 38 minutes, like even with 11 men, they didn't have a shot on goal. Mm-hmm. And they have a couple of transition attacks that counter attacks that, that could have led something, which it kind of led to the last time. But I think as soon as you have a team that has, tries to play out, uh, against Celtic, you can predict, but I almost won't count. Rangers just go long. They do, as we talked about, they go so direct, so more like. But if you try and have a team like Hibs to try to play out a bit more, you, you can get picked out, picked off. But Hodge did play, Hodge did try this a little bit in the home game last time. Celtic's pressing wasn't great for it, but it kind of worked anyway because it is hard. It was like overly aggressive, but yeah, so that'll be an interesting kind of see what they do. But to be honest, I don't expect anything else uh, from Hearts. I think you can kind of, they'll be a little bit like, almost done to United Lace in, in terms of, you know, maybe having one strike, uh, sorry, St. Johnston ish, um, and having one striker, maybe two wide forwards, and they kind of mix it up a little bit that way. Cause, Sometimes they do that, but in that kind of 3 4 3 rather than a, a, a 3 5 2. But Graham is going to be more of the same. That's, it's just when a game like, where the other team tries to play football. 4 <laughs> so 4 can, 2. Yeah, so we can just destroy them. I mean, is that too much to ask for? You know what I mean? So let's move on to other news. We have. Um, apparently, going to be getting a new face in the league where. Uh, Chris Wilder looks as if he might be actually taking the Aberdeen job. Um, he was famous at Sheffield United for his uh, overlapping centre backs. Can you yes. explain to to everyone what an overlapping centre back is and what 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 can we expect from his team and, uh, if he does take the Aberdeen job? I mean, it's pretty much what I said something. Yeah, Graham. No, he had. <laughs> he, he, I think it was a 3-5-2, um, but he, he was using his centre-backs essentially to like join the attack a lot more, and they would actually almost like, you know, we took by inverted full-backs going inwards. You had these centre-backs kind of joining the attack on one side because you had three, and you mm-hmm. can move, you know, into back two and then kind of kind of create those overloads, I guess you want to call them that. You, you wouldn't expect another player to be there. 
create that disruption. So yeah, it was it was all the rage at the time, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of a guy like Wilder coming in with Sheffield United, like played like this in the Championship as well, obviously, but they've been in the Premier League and did it well. You know, it was, it was something that kind of worked for them. But then in the second season, I think teams maybe a bit more adapted. You get the second season thing. It's always difficult for a promoted team, but and he went, I think Middlesbrough like didn't wasn't great, but maybe it was the underlying metrics were pretty good, were they not? How are they? Uh, uh, win percentage. Is that... mm-hmm. um, no, I, I think it's XG wise. You know, it, it, they were probably a bit unlucky in terms of when he was there. Um, they were, were doing a little bit better, so I, I think it's Is that a good appointment. It, you think? Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what kind of football he, he brings to it. I think it's interesting in terms of I'm not really sure how good he is, but mm-hmm. I think he's obviously he's he is someone who's he's got a few seasons, he's got a couple of seasons in, in the Premier League, uh, yeah, up and down, but at least he wasn't I, he didn't in one way he seemed very British <laughs> in, in the setup, but it, he was obviously someone who had a team with himself and other team that wanted to try something different and start mm. something new. So I think Aberdeen is, is a good fit for that, you know, in terms of uh, Aberdeen, you need to be able to find a system that lets you dominate against weaker teams, but also, you know, be effective against Rangers and Celtic. Because that, you know, Aberdeen, as we said, he, Chris Wilder's job should be to Bush Rangers and Celtic. Mm. Oh, Rangers, first of all. Um, in, in terms of that, and then, you know, they are, you know, don't have an exact budget, but third or fourth biggest club in in Scotland. And they should, I think they should be closer to Celtic and Rangers. You know, so... It's good to see a wee bit of ambition, you know, like uh, yeah. not Dundee United appointing Jim Goodwin, for example. Not that kind of level. Yeah, and I think... The, the last of that, I mean, Stephen Glass was at least something different. I talked about it before. I don't think they really committed to that. Mm. I mean, Iron Goodwin, right? It's, it was never going to work out. It was just, I it was silly. So I'm unsure of how good Wilder is, as I said, but I, I think, yeah, I, I think it's, it's it's a little bit, not maybe different, but it's, it's, it's a bit more ambitious and you've you got somebody who guess now have, have something to prove. Uh, mm. as as well. And I think Aberdeen, for the way he has played with Sheffield United, well, so might be a good match for it. So yeah, I, I think it's I'm really interesting to see what, what he would bring to it. He's probably got an eye on like, if he impresses at Aberdeen, you probably would be like the go-to for Rangers if they were replacing the manager because I mean, it'd be like an addition for him. Yeah, I imagine that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you could Aberdeen is also a club, probably not this season, and that you could, with Scotland's coefficient, like you look at Hearts just going straight into the conference group stages. I think that would be interesting for someone like Wilder as well to like mm. get in a position if you're third, um, you could push Celtic, you could push Rangers a little bit, maybe fight for second. But if you've got automatic you know, conference group stages as well, that's, that's a good. You know, for, for, yeah, carry for yourself as a manager to kind of show that and then be 
good to have that. So I think if you do well with Aberdeen there as well, you can. Yes, it's a bit different as well for him as well. But I, I could, don't I don't think the natural next step is is, is Rangers to, mm. to be honest. No, not not necessarily. But yeah, knowing Rangers too, they probably will. Especially if he beats Celtic one time, they'd be like, oh. Yeah. I mean, they, they tried to get McInnes, so I mean, I don't see why not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, the, the, uh, harsher story, so trigger warning now for a uh, rape. Um, Akram Hakimi uh, has been included in the PSG squad to, to face Bayern Munich uh, on Wednesday night, despite the fact that it was revealed uh, at the end of last week that he has been formally charged of rape. Um, Obviously, we live in a system where it's like you know, innocence is presumed uh, until a guilty verdict is provided. Where where should football? What kind of responsibility do you think football clubs should have in this situation? Um, essentially, going to be showcasing someone who is accused of such a, a harsh crime. I mean, first, I don't. He should be playing. I, I don't think he. I think I think very few employers would would keep you know somebody who's been charged with such a serious crime in their workplace, right? And so, and I think clubs like you, know, you can I don't think clubs like Arsenal and Manchester United come out of the you know a couple of other similar situations recently without a lot of credit, but at least Manchester United at least. You know, took um, Greenwood out of the equation completely, and it's still they're still doing their own review around that. So, and it's like I don't know the exact technical legalities around that, but you know, it's highly depressing. You know, if, I, I don't see any justification of when you're charged with a crime like that, why you should be allowed to keep playing. You know, it's in terms of. Purely, I know this is a very different working environment. You wouldn't have somebody who's charged with that at work with colleagues, you know, interacting with people you know, at all. And it's like, it's, yeah, it's, as long as you not be found guilty, that's that's one thing. But I think in those situations, for, for everybody's sake, you you would you know, at least take them out of that situation. Like, be it, yeah, the signal effect of just throwing that, but also like, you know. So it's just protection, you know, in, in, in terms of clothes. So, you know, it's it's highly depressing. It does, does not surprise me that PSG, uh, <laughs> like, do that. All. You know, in terms of, I think it is an ownership thing as well. And I think it's an attitude thing in, in terms of the decision makers in that. I mean, um, how it's looked at. So, just highly depressing all around. Yeah, hopefully they get pumped. So, a couple of stories related to uh, FIFA, you'll be delighted to know. Um, Infantino has said that the World Cup was a learning process Mm. after the One Love Armband uh, row. He has um, basically been speaking about how um, he's learning from it and uh, they're, they're waiting what has he learned? What has he learned, Graham? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But that kind of couples with this other story, which is about the the Women's World Cup in Australia and how FIFA are allowing 
Uh, so, so, so did tourism to sponsor it. Sure. <laughs> uh, and uh, there's calls now for it to be uh, re- reversed, but yeah, Infantino is basically going to be having v- visits Sunday as a key sponsor of the Women's World Cup uh, in Australia. So, just to finish with the Infantino stuff, he is on a, on a nicer, on a brighter note. He's talking about the potential for concussion substitutes. Um, oh, that's nice. So, I mean, I mean, it's. Sometimes you just take FIFA take this and they go, huh? it just just do like they just go beyond beyond in terms of how bad it can be decision and how much they just don't care. I mean, Infantino do not care. Infantino cares about his own reputation, his own status, and his own power, and that's and he, he gets power and that influence from being perfectly happy with siding up with those like regimes and he, he, <laughs> if you will maybe what he's learned is that he he can pay even more lip service to things like one arm bone and then when it comes to the World Cup he goes ah <laughs> you know um this is just how it's gonna be um I, I would I mean you do hope that there will be a, a I think what we talked a lot about during the World Cup program that we we were disappointed with most teams, mm-hmm. right? In terms of okay, there's a balance between you there as an athlete and World Cup, but a lot of teams just folded. And uh, some of okay, Germany tried to do a little bit for its pure cowardice of football associations not to stand up for certain things. And they go, ah, oh, well, would they like to do that? But and we talked about it's not really if you only support something when there's absolutely no consequence, potential consequence to yourself, are, are you really supporting it in, in that sense? But I think women's national teams, especially the American national team, has been very vocal politically and, and very clear on their rights. And I, you do hope a, a national team with that would just go, nah, well, we're not going to do that. And I think with that, a lot would, would follow, follow suit as well. To bring it, like it's Lisa Claveness, who is the president of the population in Norway, who, if you remember, she on the FIFA conference, she's the one person who kind of stood up and called Qatar out for and FIFA out for the decision to give um, the World Cup there, specifically around you know the, the treatment of gay people and, and so on. She's running for election in the UEFA executive committee. Now as well, mm-hmm. um, and I think countries like Norway, like Sweden, like other ones, are very Denmark are very clear on that kind of uh, around that. So, it's interesting to see first of all if she gets elected to that, mm-hmm. and also whether you'll see a different attitude from the women's national teams than you did from the men's national teams and the FA overall. I just don't know how they think it can be appropriate for a sport where the the women are going to be around the boat in shorts, t shirt, to be sponsored by. Visit Saudi, a place where they wouldn't be allowed to run about in shorts and t-shirt. You know, it's like yeah. WWF go to Saudi yeah. Arabia, and the, the the women and wrestlers have to wear like basically yeah. wetsuits when they're wrestling. That's a country who's one of the worst, if not the worst, for, for women's rights, you know, in the world. So, I mean, it's just it's pathetic. Yeah, that's what. Well, that's so, for you. <laughs> Uh, moving on to something that will be uh, much more in your wheelhouse. Uh, 
it's been revealed how Eric Ten Hag punished the Manchester United, Manchester United players after uh, the 7-0 drubbing at Anfield. He apparently got them in the next morning and made them listen to a recording of the Liverpool players celebrating in their dressing room. <laughs> well, what do you what do you think of that? I think that's delicious, Graham. <laughs> that is uh, fantastic. Um, I think I, that kind of thing works. <laughs> I, no, I mean, I always think this mentality thing and like fire people up and you know this momentum and stuff like that. I'm probably repeating myself again, but I think I think those things are real in a sense that they they happen and you could, but I I think it's all built on confidence in the way you play, the confidence in the manager that if you if you believe in the manager, if you believe in their ideas, things will come for you, right? And I think stuff like belief, which is an intangible thing, is built on tangible things. Mm. So I, I, stuff like that, like pinning stuff to the dressing room wall and getting people fired up, and it's just, you know, playing them recordings of players celebrating it's like oh yeah you probably remember that and maybe that'll be next time you go out you'll be like oh extra fired up and you go out next time it's going to show them now but what's that going to do like it's it's, will it make you run a percentage faster Uh, maybe but it's worthless unless but uh, on the pins everything is is it's good enough. It's, you have the belief, you know, it's, it's just, it's a system where it's a tactical working. Is the players within it effective in it? Do you believe in this tactical plan? Do you have the confidence in the manager to follow his stuff and, and believe in that? Like we've seen with Celtic players under Ange, you can see, we talk about, I talked about this on the Brendan Rush as well. It's like, oh, it's something to never stop. You know, it, it, you know they, they, they'll keep going and they win, and people say, "Oh, great mentality! That's just great." Mentality. They just really wanted, they wanted more another team. Where you go, well, no, it's just what underpins that is the system, mm-hmm. and that if you do these things, if you believe in what I'm saying, believe in me, and the results will come. And that's where the belief in the mentality comes from. It doesn't believe because it's you get really fired up or somebody. Pin something on the dressing room wall, or the you know the modern equivalent playing is probably showing me some TikTok videos from the Liverpool <laughs> uh, dressing room and get fired up. Like, it doesn't come from that; it comes in your fundamentals. The fundamentals, and uh, that's so. Yeah, I mean, if you want to add that as an extra half percentage percentage on top of everything, but yeah, but you still have to believe it. Do you think it's for the fans to hear about, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think if you have to be so careful with that. Like a little, ick, ick, sorry, Michael Beale himself. Like it's just, if it becomes performative, I think players will just see through it. If it becomes for the fans, they'll see through it. I mean, you look at Ange's speech before the League Cup final last season, you know, and it, you can see, you know, that, that will give you an inspiration, won't it? That will just build you up. But, if you didn't really quite believe in the playing style and it's not really working on the pitch, you can say what you want. 
in front of a final. It's not going to help. It's really not going to help. So, um, so the thing with Ange is that specifically is that Ange says a lot of things. You can, you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, he's just saying what the fans want to hear," or he, sometimes he he's a bit grumpy with the media and picks off the media. And he's like, "Oh, he's you know, he's playing to the gallery here," but. I think Ange is everything he is. He, he does, you know. I think he a hundred percent means what he says about the club. When he's a bit rough against the media and other ones, I don't think it's a stunt. I don't think it's a performance. I think that's just Ange. I think mm. he's just a bit like that, and that's his just personality. Like grumpy, a lovely grumpy man. Yeah, I think that's just. But he definitely means the things he says about the club. So when you go with Michael Beale, it just feels so performative, mm. and it feels like a, a showcase, and it feels about him. And I'll, I'll, I'll look at that. The forums will love me here now. So I think, yeah. But thank you for bringing that to my attention, Graham, because I haven't heard that and I find that uh, delicious. See, see, the thing about Iqbal is that he could be be as good as he is, coaching or whatever, but so much of it, so much about leadership is about having the kind of charisma to get someone to follow you. And when he speaks, I just, I would never follow him anywhere. It just, it, it makes me cringe to my very soul. Um, yeah, and I, I, no, I think you're right, and I think stuff like charisma and, and following someone are, are real things. But I think they fall true if you don't have the fundamentals. Mm. Well, fundamentals first of all, and if you tried, especially if you tried them without that, it's just it, it, even if you were quite good on the fundamentals, it have a detrimental effect. Yeah. So. Yeah. You, need to, you need to have both sides of the coin. Right, let me finish with a quick one on uh, Victor Osman. He has said that, uh, quote, I'm working so hard to make sure that I achieve my dream of playing in the Premier League one day. That This really rubbed me the wrong way. I'm not a, a Napoli fan or anything like that, but this is a guy that's it's playing for the, the, the number one team in Italy at the moment who are in the last 16 of the Champions League. It's, I think it's the fact it's the Premier League he's talking about, and I was going to say if people said, oh, I just really want to get to Bayern Munich, what, what that would have been say? fine. No, that would yeah. been fine. It, it, it feels to me disrespectful to Napoli. It feels just disrespectful to Serie A, and it just makes me think that the the, the Premier League is just going to become this Super Bowl. It's going to become like the, the one league that everyone watches, and no one watches any other country. I mean. What's your take on this quote? Do you think it's, is, am I making too much of it? No. Welcome to modern football, Graham. So that's, it's so, yeah, no, that's, it's, I don't think you're underestimated. That's where it is at, uh, at the moment. I don't think it always will be like that, but there's such a concentration of money, status, and then, all the best coaches probably end up there. Uh, you know, and eventually all the really good players, maybe a few exceptions, will end up there. You do you do wonder like players like Messi, Neymar, okay, Ronaldo obviously started out at Manchester United, but they players in their PQs, all through the PQs mostly spent the time outside of England. I think if they were coming up now, I, 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 I think they probably would have gone to England a lot of them. And I mean, they might turn, um, but I, I think with the, you know, the distances and 
and the money. I think it's a way that like leagues like Spain and Italy have been run as well. It's it's, it's not great. So I think you'll always have huge clubs like Madrid and Barcelona. So, but let's stop talking about it. This is a reason why clubs like that, Juventus, Real Madrid, Barcelona, are desperate to have a Super League because essentially you just want to join the Premier League. It's essentially, so yeah, it's, it's a bit of a of, of a mess. But I guess, I don't know. I mean, you, you did have a lot of players, like even I'm so old, Graham, that, it, you know, it's Serie A was a big thing. Like, mm. always, you know, like Gary Lineker went there, Ian Rush went there, uh, Graham Sinus, Sinus, God forbid, uh, went to Paul Gascoigne, obviously. Um, so there was a time where in England, if you were really good, you were going to Serie A or, you know, Barcelona and so on. So it could turn, but it's, I don't think it's going to turn without something drastically happening to, to like, the, the money that underpins everything. So that's why essentially you have to find your own football can't just be about winning. That sounds strange as a Celtic fan, but it has it has to have something more than that because mm. and that's probably Bundesliga is still such a I guess beacon of hope in that it's especially around the fans that okay, Bayern Munich is winning all the time, but it's just there seems to be a slightly different focus that there's something else is more important. And maybe it's the the match going experience is, is so good, it's different, but just that's just where you have to find in it. So. I learned uh, a new uh, German expression the other day. It's a uh, Bayernjäger, which just means to tra- literally trans- translates as Bayern hunter. Nice. And um, as I said to in front of uh, Kristen's dad, uh, I said <laughs> to Kristen that I learned this new word Bayernjäger. And as soon as I said Bayernjäger, Kristen's dad just said Dortmund. <laughs> <laughs> so. And it's, it's an interesting title race this season. Can't can't fault the Bundesliga for that. But yeah, we should, we should do some more on it. I have I have neglected to mention that you are wearing a Bayern Munich top. Yeah, since we had that, so really that's good. Yeah. My 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 youngest was wearing one in the, in the garden on, on Sunday as well. Nice. I, saw, I saw you were wearing the black the black Celtic top, but the black with the kind of mint green that was silver. Like that. That's thank you. Uh, you wear it well. Uh, yeah, I didn't show you the back of it. Which you can you can mention what number and name is on it. It's a big it's, it's big, 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 big. Um. So, so yeah. No, it's, I think hope, we, hopefully, hopefully, Bayern Munich will uh, against all odds win another title. I'll be happy for you. So. Eleven in a row. Here we go. Yeah. Um, I think we should not end the pod without again reminding people if they haven't heard the story before that um, Frankie Mitchell said that she wanted to climb Christopher Iyer like a tree, and you <laughs> and you told Christopher Iyer this. This uh, is not true. That that is that is not what happened. Yeah. I don't think we ever said that before. I think it's the first time we mentioned. This is the first time it's been revealed that so Frankie wants so, to so. climb Christopher Iyer like a tree. That, that I think it was after the cup final, wasn't it? We're getting three alarm clocks uh, from Claire, so I think that means. I'm just going to put cutters anyway, I reckon. It's so. <laughs> the go home queue. It's the go home queue. It's, Christian, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's, it's always Graham, the, the pleasure is all mine. I hope your second podcast today was, was the best one. It was, so. it, was, it was in the top two, in the top two. Thanks. That's all I asked for. <laughs> I've been your host, Graham McKay, and we will catch you down the road. <laughs>